Hey, it's Alan, and I just wanted to let you know that you can now listen to the ongoing history of new music early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, let's uh, let's do this. Yeah, I I know this program's going to cost me listeners. There are, there are people who just aren't going to get it. If you're listening, I'm going to guess that you have more than a passing interest in music and music information that you can't get anywhere else, which is exactly what you're going to get. When it comes to what you're about to hear, There is nothing wrong with your equipment. There is nothing wrong with the signal. There is nothing wrong with any of my gear. This show, this music, is supposed to sound like this. It's exactly how it was recorded and exactly how it was designed to be presented to the universe. The show started out like reading a warning on a pack of smokes, but unlike cigarettes, none of this should cause any physical damage. I don't think. Mental damage? I I don't know. I, I'm just not responsible. You think that should do it? Think, well, we've covered our asses? Okay. We are now ready to dive into some of the most alternative music you will ever hear. Welcome to the ultra-strange world of outsider music. This is the Ongoing History of New Music Podcast with Alan Cross. Let's begin with a man named Jack Madurian. From a Julia paper moon, sailing under a cardboard sky, but it wouldn't be make-believe if you believed in me. Or the lob-lob-lob, or the honky-tonk parade, or the lob-lob-lob, or the melody played at a penny arcade for the bottom and baby world, just as phony as it can be, but it wouldn't be make-believe if you believed in me. Or put another nickel head in the Nickelodeon. All I want is loving you and music, 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 closer, my dear, come closer, la, 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 Leo's when you come close to me, take me out through the ball game, or take me out through the park, or buy me some peanuts and Cracker Jack, so I don't care if I never get back with a root, but if the home team, and it's a shame they don't win. Or to one, or two, or three takes you right at the old ball game. That's Jack Madurian, and he goes on just like that for another 46 minutes. Welcome to the world of outsider music. And I know that before we go any further, we have to have an understanding of what we're actually dealing with here. Artists, and I mean all artists, 
have something that burns inside them, something that demands that they create music. This need is as inseparable from the person as the color of their eyes. Now, of course, we tend to associate this need with the greats. The Beatles, Brian Wilson, Dylan, Bowie, Prince, Michael Jackson, all these people with this indescribable talent. At the other end of the spectrum, we have people with the same burning desire to make music, but without the talent. Wait, 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 that, that, that sounds harsh. I, I don't mean to be harsh. Music can and should be made for the sheer joy of it. If it makes you feel good, then do it. If it fulfills you, do it. And if you're the only one who gets anything out of it, you should still do it. And you shouldn't care about what anybody else thinks. Okay, so some self-delusion may occasionally be at play, but it really doesn't matter. Artists, including outsider artists, do what they gotta do. And we're not here to make fun of them. In fact, we're here to praise them, to praise them for their unselfconscious embracing of the joy of making music. Now, the world may not get what they're doing, but so what? They're doing it for themselves, and they love it. We can look at outsider music as the most extreme form of alternative music there is, and I mean alternative in its truest form, material far, far, far removed from the mainstream and the mainstream's tastes. In fact, it's not unlike punk. One of the central tenets of punk rock was that anyone with something to say and the guts to say it should be able to do it. Whether this material has any actual aesthetic value is another point, and in the ears of the beholder. Whatever, I think there is something that can be learned from these people. Let's see what that might be. You may, for example, have seen the Meryl Streep movie about Florence Foster Jenkins. Now, Florence was a real person, and she thought she was a brilliant opera singer. Well, she certainly was fearless. Florence really wanted to be an opera star, and she thought she was an opera star. She had no idea that she had no sense of rhythm, or pitch, or tone, or pacing, or any musical talent whatsoever. Yet she persisted, using the funds from an inheritance to further her singing career, beginning with some recitals in 1912. When her mother died in 1928, she inherited even more money, which she then plowed right back into her singing career. If people laughed, well, she just wrote them off as jealous. I bring up Florence because she's probably the first outsider musician to be documented on record. She made a number of recordings between 1941 and 1944, which have been reissued several times since then, including on CD and through iTunes, of course. Let's, uh, let's listen a little more, shall we? That's Florence Foster Jenkins. She loved to sing. And that's the end of it, really. She's gone down in history for loving her music, but also for being awful and not realizing it, which is often a key attribute of being an outsider musician. Again, though, there's this, this weird beauty at work. Remember the quote from a Zen priest named Shinryo Suzuki? 
In the beginner's mind, there were many possibilities, but in the mind of the experts, there are few. A lot of modern outsider music starts with the Shags. Now, you may have heard of this trio of sisters from the woods of New Hampshire before because they've been name-checked by so many musicians as far back as the 1970s. As garage rock goes, their material is the garagiest, and they were quite possibly the worst group to ever set foot in a recording studio. The Shags were the three Wiggins sisters. They were managed and produced by their father, Austin Wiggins, who for many accounts was just a delusional jerk. Despite being dirt poor, he bought his children instruments and paid for lessons. And then he drove everyone down to Massachusetts in order to get his girls on tape while they were at their peak. They recorded a dozen songs in less than a day. Dot Wigan was the chief songwriter, and her creations had song titles like My Pal Foot Foot, which was about her cat, and That Little Sports Car. The result was a record called Philosophy of the World. Here's the title track. And don't say I didn't warn you. The little kids want what the big kids got. And the big kids want what the little kids got. You can never see anybody. The Shags, with the title track of their 1969 album, Philosophy of the World. And yes, I know it's not that good. But here's the key thing about outsider music. The people making the music don't realize that it's not that good. They're playing from the heart, oblivious to everything else. And it's that sincerity, that authenticity that made the Shags cult favorites. Austin Wiggins died in 1975, and without his constant pushing, the daughters went on to other things. But then a really weird thing happened. Philosophy of the world was so bad that it became legendary, almost mythical. Guys like Frank Zappa started singing the praises of the Shags. In 1996, Rolling Stone magazine named this record one of the 100 most influential recordings of the 20th century, and one of the greatest garage rock recordings of all time, and one of the 50 most significant indie releases. The cult of the Shags is now so big that RCA Records reissued Philosophy of the World in 1999 and have kept it in print ever since. You're free to buy it just about anywhere today. Now let's try something a little more contemporary. And I have a real soft spot for this guy. His name was Wesley Willis. Wesley was a 6'5", 350-pound street artist from Chicago. His thing was selling landscape drawings to people who passed by on the street. But Wesley had issues. In 1989, he began demonstrating signs of schizophrenia, which led him to be institutionalized. He had a habit of headbutting people as a greeting, which is why he had a perpetual bruise in the middle of his forehead. And his hygiene was, um, suspect. He was also known to vomit unexpectedly. But one of the few things that liberated him from what he called his mental hell rides was music. Wesley called rock and roll his joyride music. Using a cheap Techniques electronic keyboard, Wesley composed songs and sang his heart out. The indie musicians of Chicago and beyond took note, and they took a liking to him. That included producer Steve Albini and a former bandmate of Billy Corgan in a pre-Smashing Pumpkins band. Monster Voodoo Machine, the Canadian industrial metal band, recorded with him. Eddie Vedder was charmed by Wesley. Friends helped him put together a band called the Wesley Willis Fiasco, and they toured with a number of indie bands. 
and Wesley was mostly appreciated for what he was trying to do. He even picked up a record deal with Rick Rubin's American Recordings, which means he actually had major label distribution for some of his material. He sang about superheroes and fast foods and bus routes and crime and politicians. Sometimes the songs were straight, and sometimes they were rather obscene. There was one track called Suck a Donkey's Booty Hole. Uh, But most of all, Wesley loved to sing about his favorite rock stars. People like Dave Grohl. You can't really whip a polar bear's ass. Wesley Willis and his tribute to Dave Grohl. I want to play something else from Wesley, and you might notice a few similarities. The crowd run like a lion. The rock show whipped it up. The Rolling Stones. The Rolling Stones. The Rolling Stones. The Rolling Stones. Okay, that was about the Rolling Stones. Uh, this is called Hootie and the Blowfish. This fan played at the Metro. Our return to be worth the show. The rock show was awesome. It whipped the pony's ass. Hootie and the Blowfish. Hootie and the Blowfish. Hootie and the Blowfish. Hootie and the Blowfish. And let's do one more. This is Courtney Love. You are a rock star. You are a rock and roll legend. You are a good rock singer. You can't really whoop a camel's ass. Courtney Love, Courtney Love, Courtney I think you get the point. Wesley may have had his musical crutches, but there was no mistaking his unbridled passion for what he was doing. Wesley released about 50 albums in his lifetime and claimed to have written 35,000 songs. Okay, they all pretty much sounded the same, but they're recorded with true passion. Sadly, Wesley's schizophrenia became worse, and then he was diagnosed with leukemia, and he died in August of 2003. There was a really big memorial service for him. And today, Wesley Willis remains a true outsider music superstar. So, thank you, Wesley. We appreciate your efforts. Now, let's move on to Jandek. His real name is Sterling Richard Smith. We, we think. We know next to nothing about him. Some say he was a failed author who grew up in Rhode Island. There are indications that he worked as some kind of machinist. He's from Houston, Texas, I think. It's pretty much been established. And he's very, very prolific. I know that there are at least 85 Jandek albums that have been released since 1978, and they've all been released on his own Corwood Industries label. Now, Describing Jandek's music is is tough. Let's just call it atonal folk and blues with some kind of East Texas twang buried in there somewhere. It's highly um, experimental. Try to imagine Beck on a serious LSD trip. But that's only part of what makes Jandek an outsider superstar. The guy is like J.D. Salinger. He is unbelievably reclusive. He's almost like a hermit. He has never, ever given interviews. He never answered correspondence. And the only hint he was actually there was this parade of strange recordings. Outside of the fact that he was in Texas, no one knew where he was, where he got his money to finance his recordings and his record label, and how he supported himself. Now, there were hints that the Sterling Smith Corporation, 
a company that shares a phone number with Corwood Industries, is a stocks and securities company. Maybe. The mystery began to unravel in 2004 when he performed live for the first time at a festival in Glasgow. Well, at least we think the guy out front of that performance was Jandek, but who could tell? Since then, Jandek, or somebody pretending to be him, has popped up on average several times a year to perform live. And it's always an interesting experience. But there were never any interviews and never any insight on who this dude is. Let me offer you some Jandek. And again, nothing wrong with any of your gear or mine. This is a 1987 recording entitled 12 Minutes Since February 32nd. That's Jandek, another superstar from the world of outsider music. It's mysterious, it's spooky, it's disturbing, but it's honestly made. And by the way, Jandek maintains that he carefully tunes his guitar for each and every composition. Are you exhausted yet? Well, let me tell you something. We've just started. And I can tell you that not everything will be as challenging to listen to as Jandek. But it will be strange. Please hang on. Please. If you're back, good for you. I admire your resolve. This is a program on outsider music, material that may be aesthetically unusual, but is made from the heart by people who don't care what anyone else thinks. They just gotta make music, and damn it, they're gonna do it no matter what anybody says. And they love doing it. Now, again, we are not mocking. In fact, we're actually admiring Let's ease into this part of the program with this recording featuring Lucia Pamela. As I was walking on the moon, I met a little cow, and this is what she said to me. Lucia Pamela. Again, do not view that as a novelty song. Lucia believed that to be a very serious artistic statement. Here's another outsider music record that was rediscovered, reissued, and subsequently reevaluated by critics ranging from the writers of the New York Times to David Bowie. It is Canadian. In the 1970s, it was very hip for school choirs to jazz things up a bit by letting the kids sing the rock songs of the day. A music teacher and sometime guitarist in Langley, B.C. named Hans Finger was in charge of a 60-member children's choir. The choir drew from three small rural schools, kids from grade 4 through to grade 7. There was Glenwood School, the Lockheel School, and South Kelvoth Elementary. These kids had very little exposure to rock culture, so Hans taught them some of his favorite songs. And at the end of 1975, he recorded the results in the gym at Glenwood using two microphones and a tape machine. Nine songs, one take each. The naivete of the kids, combined with the natural reverb of the gym, produced something quite spooky and occasionally rather beautiful. 300 copies were pressed up on vinyl and sold to the kids, their parents, and the faculty. 12 songs, and that was it. In 1977, Finger did it again at Wicks Brown Elementary in Langley with another 90 kids. And although the recordings disappeared for decades, they later resurfaced on CD. And David Bowie went on record as saying that this is one of the best interpretations that he has ever heard of one of his songs. She knows. 
The kids of Langley, British Columbia, with their innocent, guileless version of David Bowie's Space Oddity. Fans of outsider music love this recording, despite its technical shortcomings, because it's performed with such unabashed sincerity and joy. And like I said, David Bowie thought that the Langley kids did a brilliant job. Oh, and speaking of Bowie, he figures into this next story. We've all heard of his character Ziggy Stardust, perhaps the most important rock and roll creation of the 1970s. Ziggy brought a new, glamorous, and theatrical sense of style to rock, and Ziggy's influence still rings through a lot of rock more than four decades later. But here's the question. Where did Bowie come up with that name, Ziggy Stardust? Well, the Ziggy was a modification of Iggy, as in Bowie's close friend Iggy Pop. But what about the Stardust part? That brings us to our next outsider, Norm Odam, otherwise known as the legendary Stardust Cowboy. Norm was from Lubbock, Texas, and his approach to music was odd. He did, however, manage to release a single for Mercury Records in 1968 called Paralyzed. No one really knew what to make of it, but, uh, you know, it was the 60s. When Bowie signed to Mercury in 1970, he was given a stack of 7-inch singles as kind of a welcome to the label gift. In that stack was a copy of Paralyzed. Bowie, no stranger to chemicals in those days, became absolutely obsessed with this record and this guy who dared make this kind of music. And although he never actually met him, Bowie appropriated the Stardust part of the legendary Stardust Cowboy for his new creation. And outside, if there ever was one, the legendary Stardust Cowboy with Paralyzed from 1968. By the way, David Bowie never met the man until 1998, and he remained fascinated with him until his death. We're not done. There are a few more outsiders I'd like you to meet, including one who has conquered many, many, many planets. If you have made it this far into the program, congratulate yourself on being super open-minded when it comes to music. And here is someone with whom I've had quite a bit of contact over the decades. His name is Grant McDonald. His vision is very much outside the mainstream in any hipster circle of which you've ever heard. I don't know really that much about Grant other than the fact that he's from Toronto and that he seems to be completely self-financed and is an incredible self-promoter. Not only have I received a number of CDs from him over the years, but he's thoughtfully sent along all kinds of memorabilia, including this clock that I still have in my office, his uh, picture is on the face of the clock, at least I think that's him, and he's standing there with his arms crossed thoughtfully, and he's wearing just an undershort and a pair of briefs. That's it. It's kind of disturbing to check the time sometimes. Grant has apparently sent his material to radio stations all across North America, so I'm probably not the only one with a clock. Grant's vision is both unique and passionate. One of the things I have in my collection is a CD entitled Four Billion Bucks, which as far as I can tell, is the soundtrack to a movie Grant wrote and directed about the Getty Oil Company, an American company which he alleges sold oil to the Nazis in the months leading up to Pearl Harbor. That movie does exist, by the way. It's 40 minutes long and can be found on any number of sites that sell indie DVDs. The soundtrack and the album is mostly electronic, with Grant performing some spoken word. 
Grant is not to be trifled with. A press release issued on Grant's website in June 2005 announced a $40 billion lawsuit against Getty Oil in regards to this alleged espionage and treason back during World War II. The same website features scans of responses to various letters Grant has written to both Bill and Hillary Clinton. Mr. McDonald is on a real quest and apparently has lots of time to devote to it. You have to admire this kind of single-minded devotion to a cause and a vision. If you would like to hear some of Grant's anti-Getty music, here it is. This is from a CD entitled Four Billion Bucks and the film entitled Getty Movie, Getty Hitler Trilogy. Grant McDonald and his unique musical vision. Like I said, the man is on a personal mission operating out of the mysterious First Bank Studios, which is somewhere on the lake in downtown Toronto. Now, just be forewarned that if you look for Grant's material on iTunes, you will find plenty of it. It's just that most of it is of the hardcore gay porn variety. Really. Next, I would like to bring in Daniel Johnson. Like Wesley Willis, Daniel has had to deal with mental illness, manic depression, and schizophrenia. He's had bouts of delusion where people were genuinely afraid that he may do damage to himself or others. At the same time, though, Daniel has been able to establish himself as a recording artist. Starting with a cassette that he made on a $59 Sanyo boombox, Daniel attracted attention by giving out cassettes of his stuff to just about everybody he met. His label was called Stress. This created buzz and got him gigs. Then MTV discovered him through a special on music festivals. Indie labels began distributing his stress releases. By 1988, he was well-regarded enough to be given a shot at recording professionally in New York. At the same time, though, his mental health got worse. Here's an example. His father was a pilot, and flying Daniel home from a gig in Austin in his two-seater plane, Daniel became convinced that Casper the Friendly Ghost had stolen the key from the aircraft and that they were all going to die. Dad managed to successfully crash-land the plane, but Daniel was committed after that. Then along came Kurt Cobain, who was frequently spotted wearing a Daniel Johnson t-shirt. Interest in Daniel spiked. His music started getting reviewed around the world. Electra came calling with a major deal, but Daniel refused to sign. Why? Well, because Metallica was on Electra, and they were obviously possessed by Satan. Oh, and the manager who brought that deal to the table was fired. He, he was obviously possessed, too. Still, though, people believed in Daniel's talent enough to keep his music career alive. Some of his stuff isn't very good, but then there are times where this man is on. And not only does he make music, but Daniel also paints. He's helped develop a game for the iPhone called Hi, How Are You? And he's been the subject of a number of documentaries. Here's a sample of Daniel's work. Again, this isn't what you'd call normal, but it is fascinating. Daniel is eccentric, mentally unstable, occasionally delusional, and sometimes violent. But listen to how sweet this is. It's called Funeral Girl. I knew a girl at the funeral. She said she was dead. She always said it would never work out. I was a body at the funeral. 
She had her hands all over me. That's Daniel Johnson from an album entitled Rejected Unknown from 2001. It's called Funeral Girl. And like Jandek and Wesley Willis, he's a true superstar from the world of outsider music. Finally, I wish to address the singing career of my good friend, William Shatner. And I can call him my good friend because I've actually done work with him. His singing style is eccentric, but he loves doing it. Music is in his soul. There's no other way I can put it. Now, I know the Shat personally because I worked with him on a stage production a number of years ago, and at the conclusion of each show, he insisted on singing a song. So we sat down to try to decide what song he should do, and in the end, we came up with the hockey song, the famous Stompin' Tom Connors track. But in rehearsals, he just couldn't get it right. So it ended up being up to me to work with him through rehearsals in order for him to actually turn in a performance. So in other words, I was teaching William Shatner how to sing. Let, let, let's let him tell the story. That's great. With your musical background and all, I, I, I have a dearth of that and, and totally recognize it. So my skills are in words and not music. And the fact is, the fact is, Alan, that music is a mysterious place to go, even for musicians who may have long since forgotten the the appeal, the the magical thing that music is. It's so mysterious, Alan. Hmm. Can we, we only have a, a short time together. I, I want to kind of go back through your discography and very quickly touch on a few things. Uh, you began recording musical works with the Transformed Man in, in 1968. Why? What was the genesis of that? Uh, a, a big company then, and maybe it'll resonate, Decca. Yes. Well, Decca asked me to make an album. I'm a young actor. I'm getting, I'm having some success in the, in, act, in the Star Trek, and I say, okay, what'll I do? Uh, I'll do a literate a literature piece of literature and link it to music because I love literature and and the and the great speeches that Shakespeare and Edmund Rostand wrote and all those people. I love to perform them and they're musical write original music and segue into a piece of literature of today, which is some of the great songs, which have great lyrics to it. And there's a melodic musical background to that. And I will show either uh, a, a, a philosophy that, that, is the, that compares or the opposite philosophy in either one of those things. But each one of those cuts is, is three minutes. That's a total of six minutes. You've got to hear it together to understand what I'm doing. But if you take one out of the context, you're saying, well, what's he doing? Especially if you take the musical part. Uh, and that's what happened. People took things like Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds out of context. They said, well, what's he doing? Well, what I'm doing is performing LSD, a guy who thinks of, uh, of uh, uh, tangerine, uh, tangerine trees and marmalade skies. And that's LSD to me. That's a, that's a vision. And I tried to perform it as a guy looped. In comparison to Edmund Rostand's uh, Cyrano, has a speech which ends, I may climb to no great heights, but I will climb alone and, and, and without drugs. Now, here's a guy that needs drugs. That was in my fantasy. Okay, so um, where was this album made? 
Was it made in L.A.? Or I made heard in L.A. Uh, if I remember correctly, the Decca Studio, some kind. Okay, and it was done completely uh, straight. Well, I didn't mean to joke about it. No. No. Okay. No, that's not what I was. Okay. I mean, uh, there are some things looking back. I wish I had done differently, but. You know. Listen, it was 1968. It was a time of experimentation for everybody. Well, every, every time should be a time of experimentation. Okay. Why should you take one year to experiment and not another year? Everything should be filled, filled with experimentation. And there's another truth here. You can't succeed until you fail, because you don't know what where the success lies. You don't know whether you like something uh, uh, to eat unless you try it. And if it doesn't work, if you say, spit it out, well, you know not to do that. Well, you have to fail in order to succeed. And people don't give you that allowance. You got that? Cellophane flowers of yellow and green towering over your head. Look for the girl with the sun in her eyes. And she's gone! William Shatner from his classic 1968 album, The Transformed Man. And with that, let's just skip to our epilogue, shall we? Now, I warned you at the beginning that this was going to be one of the weirdest episodes of the ongoing history that you were ever going to hear. In fact, not many radio shows have sounded like this. There are many other outsider musicians that we could have, should have talked about. There's uh, Joe Meek, Tiny Tim, Moondog, Captain Beefheart... I have a list, and, and I will make you this promise. If I get a sufficient amount of supportive email, we will revisit this subject because there's plenty we can talk about. Tell me what you think about outsider music at alan at alancross.ca. I will tally up the votes, and we'll see if we do this again. Meanwhile, I have my website at ajournalofmusicalthings.com. That's where you can go to sign up for the daily newsletter. All kinds of cool music information that will pour into your inbox every morning. It's free, and there's never any spam. I hope you recover from this program in time to join me next week. Tactical Productions by Rob Johnston. He had to listen to all this, too. I'm Alan Cross. You've been listening to the Ongoing History of New Music podcast with Alan Cross. Subscribe to the podcast through iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, and everywhere you find your favorite podcasts.